All right. Hey, welcome to church this morning. It's good to see you. I'm Glenn Barnes, uh, one of the pastors here, and welcome to church. So, hey, that song uh, really speaks to what the message is all about today. We're talking about the fact that not only did Jesus rise from the dead, but what Jesus does for people that put their faith in him is he brings dead things to life. We're dead to sin and alive to Christ. And so we're going to talk about that um, together. So welcome. Uh, Glad you're here. Hey, I'm going to dismiss kids to children's church, but kids, before you go, here's what you have to do. Look where you are right now, see where you're sitting, because you're going to come back in probably about 25 minutes or so. So I'm going to dismiss you, but then Pastor Tim's going to bring you back in a little bit, and you're going to need to be able to find your mom or dad or whoever you are here with today. So see where you are, then you're dismissed. All right, kids? See ya. Glad you guys are here. Hey, for the rest of you, hopefully you received uh, uh, message notes as you came in. Uh, you might want to grab those out. Uh, I encourage you to grab a Bible. You can power that on on your phone, or there's a, a Bible in the chair in front of you. We're going to be in Romans chapter 6. I also want to say, too, that um, if you are not getting the church email each week, we send out a couple emails with all the information, things going on in the church. That little get connected card in the seat in front of you would be a great one. Or if we could pray for you, anything like that, feel free to communicate with us as a church staff. We really want to be available um, to help in any way um, that we can. All right. Well, today we are returning to a study that we began earlier in the year in the book of Romans. And so this series that we have been in in Romans, Romans, we're calling it a letter that changed the world. Because you see, the Apostle Paul, who's the author of this letter, um, actually had his life dramatically transformed by Christ. And Paul not only sees his life transformed, but he comes to understand that the power of Christ is literally what can transform the world. So Paul is a smart guy, and he understands that a strong church in a place like Rome, probably the most... um, Uh, important city, probably in the whole world at that time, Paul understands that a strong church in an influential city like Rome would be vital to the spread of that message around the world. Paul wants to see that message go all the way out. Paul also has an understanding that in Rome, like in a lot of cities around the Roman Empire at this time, that there was a growing number of both Jewish and Gentile followers of Jesus that were beginning to worship side by side. And they were from different cultural backgrounds, different experiences, but Christ was bringing them together. And Paul understood that if those different people come together and they could worship in unity, that that would also play a huge part, um, not only in fulfilling Christ's mission, but seeing his uh, message spread. And so Paul sets out to write this letter to the Roman church. And he sets out, and we've said all along, with almost like this legal precision. It's like Paul is making a legal, like courtroom case for the gospel. And and what he begins with is saying this. He says uh, about his own experience, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for everyone who believes. This good news of Jesus is not only what transformed his life, but it's good news for anyone that believes. So as a church throughout all of 2021, we've kind of chosen a a theme to kind of just keep us uh, unified and together. And that theme this year is we believe. And we've said all along that we want to be kind of a we believe people. We want to be people of faith. 
we believe also speaks to that we would, not only as Christians know what we believe, that's really important to know what we believe, but more than that, that we would know why we believe the things that we say that we believe. And are are they true and are they right in a way that we really can build our life on them? So that's kind of what we're trying to do all year long. And the book of Romans couldn't be a more perfect book um, for that because the book of Romans is the longest explanation of kind of the, the Christian life and what it's all about that you'll find really in the whole Bible and for sure in the New Testament. So before we jump into today's passage, let me just kind of remind us, because we've been away from Romans for a few weeks, kind of the way the book goes. And, and you'll remember that Paul actually begins the book by wanting everybody to know how important it is and how much we really need a savior. In fact, for the first three chapters of the book of Romans, he spends a lot of time on the consequences and the severity of sin. For good parts of those first three chapters, Paul talks about the theme of sin. And we said that we had three like terrible messages in a row. Do you remember that? I mean, for three weeks, we focused on this issue of sin and it was good to hear, but it's also hard to hear. And Paul talks about how... um, There are, first of all, he kind of starts by talking primarily to the Gentile people, and he talks about people that have rejected and pushed God away. And he gives examples of everything from homosexuality all the way down to disobeying your parents. And he says that people push God away and suppress the truth of God, exchange the truth of God for a lie is what he says. And so it leads to all these kind of different sins in our life, and it separates us from God. But Paul doesn't just talk about the the radical sins, as we call them. He also talks about the sins of of religious people. Because it's really easy to think that I'm just doing everything right, I'm following all these rules, without remembering to just love God and to let him, his forgiveness watch over me, to, to remember what it means to love my neighbor, to love other people. And so Paul actually writes about the sins of religious people as well. And the point he makes for three chapters in a row is that all people, no exceptions. He says there's no exceptions. All people sin and fall short of the glory of God. So he talks about that for a while. But then the good news is he turns the corner pretty quickly as well in chapter three to begin to talk about salvation. And remember that verse that says, but now. And we talked about how important that little phrase is, but now. In fact, we said that it may be one of the biggest buts in the Bible and the the junior high kids laughed about that, which we thought was inappropriate, let me just say, but it happened. Um, but he says, but now we are made right with God. So though the sin had separated you, you can be made right with God uh, by uh, placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes, no matter who we are. So in other words, it doesn't matter where you come from. It doesn't matter the works that you try to do to please God. But when you put your faith in Christ, you are made right with him and you receive that forgiveness. But he also goes on to say that the forgiveness of Jesus is super important and it's the starting point of salvation. But in the Bible, the gospel was never only about just the forgiveness of sin. That's a big part of it. Um, but the, the gospel is never about like, I asked Jesus into my heart. And so, you know, now I've got my fire insurance. And so I'll just wait around until I die and go to heaven one day. No, the gospel transforms our life in the here and now. And it gives us any, not only a, a, a abundant, but like a resurrected kind of, of abundant life. And so Paul talks about kind of this big theological term of sanctification. Sanctification is just kind of a fancy church way of saying, 
sustain how I mature in Christ, how I begin to not just have my sins forgiven, but how do I begin to grow and mature and live a more Christ-like life. And so that's what sanctification is about. And today, as we come to chapter 6, we are going to be right in the middle of this discussion of sanctification. So on Paul's mind now is, how do we live out this Christian life? right? What does it look like for us to be more like Christ? And um, so we're in Romans chapter 6. If you want to open your Bibles there, uh, we're going to be in Romans 6 for a couple weeks. So this week and next week. Next week, we're going to kind of dig in more to kind of the, the overall argument that Paul is making. Because today, as Paul writes about how in the same way that we can now count ourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Jesus Christ. And he says, you're dead to sin, alive to Christ. He also gives this amazing illustration or example that says, when, you're, when you die to your old life and you're raised to new life, he gives us this example of it. And that example is baptism is baptism. And so that's what we're really going to spend a chunk of our time on today because Paul addresses it in chapter six, uh, baptism. And so as I was thinking about today's message on um, baptism, I was thinking, um, I was remembering the old story of the the old pastor who's doing baptisms one day and a a man comes up, uh, comes forward to be baptized. And so the pastor says to him, he says, well, why do you want to be baptized? And so the man says, well, I'm, I'm looking for Jesus. And the pastor thinks, great. And so he brings him in and he dunks him down under the water and he brings him up and he says, did you find Jesus? And the man said, no, I, I didn't. So the pastor says, well, all right, well, I better dunk him again, right? So he dunks him again a second time, dunks him, brings him back up. The guy says, no, I still haven't found Jesus. So the pastor's like, now we got to get serious about this thing. He dunks him down that third time. He leaves him under for a little bit, shakes him around a little bit, brings him back up. Before the pastor could even ask, the, the guy says to the pastor, he says, pastor, I don't think he's down there. <laughs> Which is probably the only baptism joke I know, so I thought I'd throw it in there. So... But you know, here's the thing. In a strange way, Christ is present in the waters of baptism because it speaks to what it means to have this resurrected life that we keep talking about. And so let's jump into our passage. Just a warning to me, this is classic Apostle Paul um, in that it's, it's great, but it's very dense and it's kind of even hard to follow along with sometime. Um, but we'll read through it and then we'll kind of talk about it. Um, Romans chapter six, beginning in verse one, that goes like this. It says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? So the argument is, is God's grace, you know, brings God glory. So why shouldn't I just sin more? And, you know, then God gets more glory. And Paul says, no, you are misunderstanding it. We'll talk about that next week. But he says, by no means, we are those who have died to sin. So how can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. For if we have been united with him in his death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, 
count yourself dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. So like I said, it's kind of dense and and goes around a, a little bit, but it's super important because Paul is teaching us that we no longer have to live as as slaves to sin, those things that are those constant struggles in our life. We don't have to to be slaves to them any longer. We're dead to those things. We're going to talk next week more about what it means to be dead to sin and how that really works itself out. But one helpful thing, I think, to kind of understanding this passage is to see it kind of in the larger context. Remember we said that Paul's making almost kind of this courtroom argument. And he kind of begins this argument in chapter 5 where he talks about how this idea that all of us are children of Adam. And he says that, that just as sin entered through one man, so in other words, sin came into the world through Adam and Eve way back in the the Garden of Eden. He says, so through one man, uh, so freedom from sin and new life entered through Christ. And so when you see Adam referred to, especially in the New Testament, but in the Bible, Adam also is is like a, a representative of the human race. He's the forefather of all people. So in other words, we're all ancestors of of Adam. And so when it talks about sin coming through Adam, the point is all of Adam's ancestors, which is all of us, fall under that same sin that that Adam had. Um, But just as all people are connected to Adam, then uh, along comes Jesus. And Jesus is portrayed as a new Adam. A new, a new man, a new way, and it paves a new way to live for those that are in Christ. So in other words, for those that are in Christ, we're not necessarily primarily identified as Adam's children. Yes, we are all human. But now in Christ, we're identified as his children. So we're not subject to the death of Adam, but we're subject to the life that Jesus Christ uh, brings. So in, in, in the book of John, Jesus says it like this. He says it super simple. He says, if you believe in me, you're, you're born again. And Paul is just explaining the details of that. This is what the born again life really looks like in a more expanded um, way. But here's the thing. For a lot of us, myself included, some of these kind of like theological terms and some of these like deep theological things are hard for us to really grasp. We can hear them and kind of understand them, but to to really get a hold of these things can be very difficult. And that's why I'm so thankful that at least in a few places, God actually gives us some physical reminders of spiritual things. So an example of that is communion. And when we celebrate communion, um, we remember the, the, death and bear, or the death of Jesus and his body and his um, blood being poured out. But he gives us the physical thing. He says, this is, my, this is my, my body. And whenever you take this bread and drink of this cup, remember me. So he gives us something physical that reminds us of the spiritual. We can, we can touch and we can hold and we can taste the bread and the cup. And it reminds us of this spiritual thing that he gave his his body and his blood for us. And in the New Testament, along with communion, the other ordinance that we see that is like that is baptism. Baptism is this tangible and powerful picture of what happens in a person's life. And so since Romans 6 deals with it, that's what we're going to spend the rest of our time on together this morning. So let's look again. There was a couple verses in what we just read that really talk about baptism. So let's look at these again as the ultimate illustration of moving from death to life, which is baptism. So Romans 6 verses 3 and 4 say this, or don't you know? 
that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So in other words, baptism is this picture of what our life in Christ is like. And so let's look at what the Bible says about baptism. First of all, what is baptism in the first place? And maybe no big surprise to you, the word baptism, the English word baptism, comes from a Greek word, and that Greek word is baptizo. Baptizo, it's more of a transliteration. So it's just kind of the the English word and the Greek word mean the same thing. So baptizo, what's interesting to me about this is baptizo, that word, you find it quite common in the literature of that day. And it often, especially before Christ, was not a religious term. Baptizo, Baptizo literally just meant to or to submerge it, or to wash it. So you find the word baptizo in the literature of the day, a few examples of it, when a a boat sinks. It describes this boat as being baptizo. It just sunk under the the water. There was nothing religious that happened there. It just submerged under the water. Um, we, We read about people's utensils being washed either before and after a meal. And you baptizo your utensils, and that's how you wash them. One of my favorites is about 200 years before Christ, there's an explanation about pickling vegetables. And it says you take your vegetables and you baptizo them in the boiling water, and then you take them out and you baptizo them again in the vinegar, and that, you know, makes your vegetables last longer. So it wasn't a religious turn. It just meant to to be dunked under. And yet, especially around the time of John the Baptist, as Jesus was coming onto the scene, we begin to see that this word takes on significant religious connotation, and especially Christian meaning. Because from the time of John the Baptist, baptism begins to be connected with repentance and leaving an old life. So people would come see John out at the Jordan River, and this crazy man would say, repent, repent and turn from your old ways and go a new way. And if that's what you're doing, then get into the waters of baptism. And that is a sign of this leaving behind your old life. And then Jesus comes and is, you know, and, and, and then the Holy Spirit comes, begins the church. And we see that from the very earliest time, in fact, from the very first day, baptism is a significant symbol in the Christian church. Now, baptism is never presented as something that saves us, right? It's not a religious act that saves us. It's when we believe. But when we believe, we see that that's when baptism comes. And so what we say around here a lot is that baptism is an outward and a public sign of an inward change. So God's done the work in here in my heart, but I want to show it in a tangible, in a public way that acknowledges before everybody that I want to be a follower of Christ. And so that's what baptism uh, is just on its most basic um, level. What else does the Bible say about baptism? Well, we see, for one, baptism is just commanded of Jesus's followers. So at the very end of Jesus's life, after he's resurrected, he's getting ready to ascend to heaven and he gathers his disciples together and some of his very last words, they're so important, they have their own little title, they'll call it the Great Commission. And Jesus is commissioning his people to go out and this is what he says to them. He says, He says, then Jesus came and he said this, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So therefore, this is what he says to all of us, go and make disciples of all nations, all ethnic groups, 
baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And that's Jesus's commissioning or Jesus's command to us. And so he says, in other words, don't just keep this message to yourself. He says, this message is what transforms the world. That's why Paul's writing the letter to the Romans in the first place. He's not just keeping it to himself. He's spreading it as far as he can. And and what Jesus says is, is make disciples of all the nations. And so when you tell them my story and they believe in me, they become a new creation and then baptizo. Then you baptize them as a sign that they are now my followers. So it's, it's commanded. In fact, for me, I've always found it just kind of fascinating, if you think this all the way through, that Jesus himself chose to be baptized. And Jesus was baptized by his cousin, John the Baptist. Because if you think about it, Jesus didn't commit any sins. Jesus didn't need to repent. And so what's going on there? I believe one of the things that Jesus is demonstrating is an attitude of obedience, obedience to his father. Because all of us are called to obey and that rubs a lot of us wrong, right? You know, sometimes we're told to obey and it just, you know, this rebellion raises up in us. And Jesus, who didn't even have to be baptized, demonstrates obedience, which is to me also just an example that if Jesus was willing to do that, then I want to follow his example. And, you know, um, if if Jesus could do that, then I want to um, do that as well. And a lot of us, it's easy to make excuses, it's easy to make all kinds of excuses, and I, I get it, and this is not about me pressuring anyone, but it's easy to make a lot of excuses. I don't want to be in front of people. I, you know, I should have been baptized years ago, or you know, I don't want people to see me wet, whatever it is, but this to me just reminds us that we have an example of obedience in Jesus. So the, the Bible just teaches that baptism is a command for Jesus's followers. The other thing that I just love the way the Bible talks about baptism in the New Testament, at least, is that baptism is kind of just assumed for Christians in the early church. So there's not necessarily one little section that explains this is how you do baptism, this is the time, this is all, you know, all the details about it. But what you see is a consistent pattern throughout the New Testament, and the pattern is super simple. It goes like this. They believed in Jesus, and they were baptized. And then a couple chapters later, they believed and they were baptized. They believed and they were baptized. And that's the pattern. And it's just kind of this assumed thing for Jesus's followers in the early church. In fact, I love it. The very first sermon that the apostle Peter preaches, he preaches this big sermon on what we now know as the day of Pentecost. And this is what we read about Peter's sermon. It says those who accepted his message or those who believed were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to that number on that day. 3,000 baptisms in one day. And you thought our church services were a little long. Try to imagine that that would be like. But again, there's the, the, the beginning of this pattern. They believed and they were baptized. You see it several times. One of my favorites in the book of Acts is a guy, we're not even told his name. He's just described. He's described as the Ethiopian eunuch. He's an official in the Ethiopian queen's court. And he's in Jerusalem. He comes to Jerusalem probably to do some of the, the queen's business. So all the way from, from Ethiopia, that's a long trek from Africa. But he comes uh, there in the Middle East to, to Jerusalem. And there he begins to find out about God. And he's trying to worship God. And on his way, leaving uh, Jerusalem, uh, supposedly heading back to, to Ethiopia, he's in the, the chariot and he's reading the, the Old Testament. And he's reading the book of Isaiah. 
And Philip, one of Jesus's apostles, comes up to, to this man and he says, hey, do you understand what you're reading? And reading the book of Isaiah can be tricky, especially if you don't understand or have background. And so the man says, how can I understand what this is all about unless someone explains it to me? And so it says Philip began to explain that how everything that he was reading in the book of Isaiah was fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And this man comes to understand and he places his trust and becomes a follower of Jesus. And the gospel goes to Ethiopia, by the way. How cool is that? But well, here's what we see this man says um, in Acts chapter eight. It says they were traveling along the road and they came to some water. And this man said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot and both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. And so let me just ask you there, do you think that this man had all his questions about Christianity figured out? No. Do you think he had a complete understanding of what baptism was all about? Probably not. Had he completed the baptism class? No. (laughs) But he says, there's some water and I'm a follower of Jesus and already I understand that I'm a new creation. And so I want to go down into that water to show that I've been buried to my old life and raised again to new. And it's just kind of this assumed pattern and this identification for Jesus's followers. In fact, how much is it assumed in the New Testament? The Apostle Paul later on is writing to uh, another church kind of around the Roman Empire in Corinth. And he's not talking about baptism here, but he's talking about just kind of the church. And he talks about this famous section where he talks about the church being like a body and that we're all one body and we all serve together. But this is what he says about that. He says, for we were all, we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slaves or free. So they were all baptized and it brings in this church, this unity and this equality among them because they were all made new. I just love that because if you think about it, we we say sometimes that that every person is, is equal at the foot of the cross and that's true, right? At the foot of the cross, it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, what color you are, what background you are, whether you're a Jew, a Gentile, a slave or free. And Paul says that's what what happens in the water of baptism. We all become unified. We all become equal. And it was assumed that his followers would do that because it was an outward sign of an inward change. And so that may raise a question for some of you. And it's it's a great question. Um, And that question is, so what about infant baptism? Because infant baptism is practiced by many churches, um, many denominations. Uh, Of course, the Catholic Church uh, practices infant baptism. Um, uh, In some Protestant churches, Lutheran, Presbyterian, uh, Methodist, some of those kind of churches practice infant baptism. And it's not my place to disrespect those traditions in any way, especially if that um, is your uh, tradition. But what we see is... um, in those, in those churches, that infant baptism, some of the thinking, especially in the Catholic church, is that baptism has kind of a sacred way of, of washing away some of that sin nature, or it believes that it imparts grace onto that baby through that religious symbol. So for instance, especially like back in the Middle Ages, um, when the infant mortality rate was, was quite low, you wanted to make sure that you got your baby baptized because what happens if that baby died before they were baptized and then they went to hell? 
And so the idea was, well, we got to get those children baptized. In fact, in the Catholic Church, there is a, a, an, an older doctrine called limbo. You guys familiar with limbo? Limbo was first designed as this idea that if, what if the child died before he was baptized? Well, they, they couldn't go to heaven, but they wouldn't go to hell, but they would just go to this kind of limbo place. And here's what I need to say to you about that. That is not the way it is described in the Bible. That is not a biblical doctrine. In fact, you never see God holding a child that is too young to believe to account. In fact, I think of David's baby that dies. And it says that that David took comfort that he would see that baby in heaven. You see, because it's not about like I did some religious act and now God's grace comes to me. No, instead, I think the pattern that we see biblically is the case that Paul is making here in Romans 6, which is baptism is about being identified in this new life through faith in Christ. So when a person makes that decision, so in other words, again, not to be disrespectful of that, but a, a, a parent can't make that decision for that child. They can dedicate that child, absolutely. And that's good. That's why we don't practice baby baptism here. We practice believer's baptism. We practice baby dedication um, with that same idea. But but, uh, what we say is that baptism is meant to be a decision that each individual should make when they decide to follow Christ. So in other words, it's not something a parent should make. And now I will say in the book of Acts, there are a few examples where we read this, that certain households were baptized together. So Lydia, Cornelius, a few others, we see that that, that they believed and they were baptized. But there's nothing that says that, that all the people in the household didn't believe. We assume that that meant when the household was baptized, that the people of that house believed and they were baptized. So that may bring a question up to you. And the question is this, so what if I was baptized as a child? Do I need to be baptized again? And I sympathize with that question. That's that's a question that I wrestled with um, for a time in my life. In fact, this is a picture of me with my grandfather. And look how adorable that little baby is. I mean, come on. Um, And I was baptized in the Methodist church by my grandfather, right? And so... I loved my grandfather. I didn't want to disrespect that tradition. I didn't want to dishonor my grandfather in in any way. And I'm thankful for that heritage, right? I'm thankful. But I also came to understand that when I became a believer by my own choice, not by my parents' choice, my grandparents' choice, but by my choice, that I needed to be baptized. And as a college student, I was baptized in the, the swimming pool at the college that I went to now a little over 30 years ago, or just, yeah, a little over 30 years ago. And, um, and that was, was my choice there. And so the question is, if Steve Steele were here, he would say, so what? So what does all this mean to us? And the so what's are, are super simple. Um, it's a lot more relaxed when I say it, isn't it? <laughs> so... <laughs> So what are the so what's in this? And the so what's are actually quite simple. And both of the so what's on this topic really are, are for Christian people. So if you're here today and you're still investigating Christianity, you are welcome here. We want to do whatever we can to help answer questions. Um, we're not here to force you into anything. Um, if you're still investigating Christianity, we're as, as people that have put their faith in Christ, we're doing our very best to understand this book and, and to follow it. But the application is for people that are are Christian already. And the application is super simple. The application is, is this. If you are a Christian and you have not been baptized, what are you waiting for? What are you waiting for? Right? 
As followers of Jesus, we see the example of Jesus himself. We see the command to be baptized. We see this pattern that's just kind of assumed. We see that it it demonstrates our old death to our old life and our resurrection to new life. And so the question is, what are you waiting for? And a lot of us have delayed that decision and, and sometimes delayed obedience is really not, dis- really not obedience at all. And so in just a few minutes, we're going to have a few people that are, are, are ready to be baptized and came today ready to be baptized. But as Steve said at the beginning of the service, some of you are here and, and you need to be baptized. The, the time is right. There's nothing that's holding you back. And if God's spirit is working in you, we're going to invite you during a time of music here in just a little bit um, where you can come forward and you can be baptized. We have all the, we have shorts, we have t-shirts, we have towels, we have everything that you need. And right over here to my left, your right, you go right down that hall. One of the pastors will meet you there, you know, talk that over real quickly. And then there's an opportunity for you to be baptized today if you would like. And that's that first point of application. If you are a Christian and have not been baptized, what? are you waiting for? Second application is this. If you are a Christian and you have been baptized, remember and honor your baptism. You know, it's funny. I don't remember a lot from 30 years ago, but I remember the prayer that the pastor prayed when I was baptized. And he prayed this. He said, I pray that Glenn remembers his baptism. And I don't think he was worried about me like forgetting the day or forgetting the details of it. But I think what he was saying is that he would remember the significance of what was taking place there. That I'd said, I placed my trust in Christ. I understood that I needed him for salvation. So I put my trust in him and I wanted to be buried to that old life and I wanted to be raised to new life. And I was willing to do that publicly with everybody watching. And I said, I want to follow Christ for the rest of my life. And he prayed, I I pray that he would remember that because he went public with it on that day. And so I think about that sometimes. I think about that. I stood in front of a group of people and said, I want to be a follower of Christ. And so if that's you and you've been baptized, remember your baptism. Remember and honor that. Are you living? Are you living in a way that honors that decision you make? It may have been years ago. If you've been around, you may have heard me use this example and plenty of other people have used it before. Um, I, I think of my baptism a little like my wedding ring that I wear here. Because when Janie and I made a decision to be married, that was a, a personal, private decision. It was between us and, you know, between God. And it was this personal thing. And we made vows to one another that we were going to be faithful to one another. And that I am hers and she is mine and we're together. And we made this spiritual commitment to one another before God. And then I wear this wedding ring. And this wedding ring is a physical example, a physical reminder of this commitment that I made. And in the same way, that's one of the things that baptism does for the believer. It reminds us, it says publicly, this is what I believe. So so I want to say right up front, um, in the same way that I said a parent shouldn't push someone to be baptized. You shouldn't be baptized because your pastor pressures you in any sort of way. My goal today was to present this information and to let you and God um, work that out. Um, But I'm excited because we are going to um, worship together as a church and we're going to observe some baptisms. And so I want to invite a few people up. So I think we have four uh, people here in this service that are ready to go. So I want to invite Lena Castillo to come on up and um, Amelia Towell. I haven't even seen, where's Amelia? Come on, Millie. 
Hope Towell and Clarissa Stramel and Kylie Bianchi are all going to come on up. So why don't you guys come on, come on up, Lena. I'm going to get you a microphone. You're looking at me like, do I have to come all the way up there? And you are going to be awesome. So um, everybody remembers being nervous to stand in front of people. So don't even worry about that. So come on up. You can go over here, come over here. And Roman's going to be with Kylie. But I'll go ahead and I'll start with Lena. Hi, Emily. How are you, sweetie? Um, So you came to me a few weeks ago, and um, we've known each other for a long time, but you said you're ready to be baptized. And so tell us a little bit about how you, Lena, came to know Christ in the first place, and then about your decision to be baptized. Okay, um, I grew up in the church. Um, I was actually baptized Catholic, Mm -hmm. Um, but I never, I knew of God. There was never a relationship, there was never... um, it was more of a fear of you do something wrong, you're going to be punished. Um, so that terrified me. Um, I made a lot of mistakes as a child and growing up into a teenager. Um, as I drifted away from the church, um, I had a daughter at 16, which also... A big challenge. Yeah, it really made me afraid to go back to the church because it was like, that's sin, and it's not okay. So that really pushed me away. Um, that led down a road of a lot of difficulties. And um, I was ashamed of all of my decisions and everything that I've ever done. So that even put a bigger wedge between me and God. Um, fast forward to a few years ago, we, my boyfriend at the time, who's now my husband, um, he, we moved to Lodi with our two girls, um, and there was also, there was just something missing. Um, he actually would always encourage me to go to church. He would go with our daughter, um, but I would always stay back. It wasn't time. And one day he asked and I said, yes. And so we went and I really enjoyed it, but there was still something missing. Um, and then we got invited here And from the moment that I walked into the doors, it was just, it felt like home. It was so welcoming. It was so loving. And I just, I knew I wanted a piece of what everybody else seemed to have. Yeah. Yeah. And so you made that decision then to follow Christ in the last few years. And God's really done a lot in your family. You've grown your family, you're married, all those things. So tell us now about your decision to be baptized. Because I know this is something you've taken seriously. Yeah, um, I decided to be baptized because all of the, I don't want to call it bad, but the bad and the negativity and just the burdens that I carry, I want to just wash them away and start new. And I feel like God really has something ready for me. I just need to be an open vessel, vessel, and I just need to you know, start with a clean slate. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we're going to do that. So um, you are a new creation in Christ and you're going to be baptized. In fact, if you want, you can go get ready and we'll, I'll meet you back there in a minute. So yeah, of course you can. Of course you can. Mil- uh, yeah. Oh, you want to do, I'm going to do, I'm going to do Amelia. Come on. Don't, don't jump in front of her. This is her, this is her moment. So <laughs> Amelia grew up in this church. Um, in fact, she's got a story of coming to faith in Christ in this church. And so tell us, um, how you first asked Jesus into your heart. And then this is a big decision for you to be baptized. So tell us about that. Um, so I was about four years old in the... the um, like you know. the church child care. Yeah. And Miss um, Skelton led me through a prayer 
where she wanted me to, um, she asked me if I wanted to be with Jesus for the rest of my life, and I, um, you know, accepted, and I accepted him into my life, and, um, and I want to show everybody how committed I am to God by being baptized. That's awesome. That is so great. And by the way, shout out to Mr. and Mrs. Skelton, who've taught our, our yeah, how about a big one? They've taught our kindergarten class for 20 years. There's a lot of testimonies about Mrs. Skelton. So, um, hey, that's awesome. And I know this is really important for your parents to watch. And so I'm so excited about your decision. And so you can go ahead and head back, and I'll meet you back there in just a second. And we'll go ahead and give it to Pastor Tim here. Awesome. So. Wow, that's amazing. So come on up here. This is Clarissa Schrammel. So come, come tell everyone everybody how you gave your life to Jesus? Well, at last Easter, I, well, they were talking about how Jesus sacrificed his life for us, and I felt like I should do something for him and join his family for what he's done for me. Wow, that is beautiful. That was... Last year, Easter. Actually, it was this year. This year, Easter. That's amazing. So you understand that Jesus is your Lord and Savior and has saved you from your sins, and you, and you just you want to tell everybody that, right? Yep. That's very cool. <laughs> and your grandpa is going to baptize you, is that right? Mm-hmm. So is he a pretty cool guy? Well, yes, he is. <laughs> Well, yes, actually he is. That's awesome. Well, wonderful. Well, hey, how about you go get ready, okay? All right. All right. Thank you, Pastor Tim. Awesome. Come on up. This is Kylie. So Kylie's been coming to this church since she was about five. Um, and just a couple weeks ago, Kylie came up to, uh, when we were doing the, the ministry fair, Kylie came up to our, our booth and said, hey, I'm, I'm interested in baptism. You know, um, I kind of grew up in, in this church, and, and now I'm, I'm interested in this, this baptism thing. So we met for a couple weeks. We, uh, we kind of went through basically this, this sermon here today, um, just what the, the significance of baptism and, and what that means. Um, and, and as as we were talking, Kylie w- w- couldn't really... Um, pinpoint a time in her life where, you know, she, she said, yeah, I've prayed with my parents before. I've, I've prayed um, growing up in, in church, um, but we actually prayed uh, just this last week for her to accept Jesus as her Savior. So, so that was super awesome. And now here she is um, wanting to follow through and, and take that, ne- that next step and, and be baptized. So Kylie, why do you want to be baptized today? I'm here, I'm here today to show myself and everybody around me that I'm ready to follow the Lord and get baptized. Awesome. Well, very good. This was her favorite part. She was really looking forward to talking in front of everyone. But, yeah, that's awesome. Well, very cool. You mind if I say a quick prayer for Kylie and then we'll, we'll head back there? Awesome. Let's, let's pray. God, we, we just thank you so much for what you're doing and all these, uh, all these lives who who stood up here today uh, and and followed uh, that, that step of faith and said that I want to I be baptized. I want to follow after your example, God. So thank you so much for what you're doing in their hearts. I pray that this time would be a memorable time for them and that you would um, just bless their obedience and just help them to remember this day as a, as a day where they step forward on faith for you, God. We love you. Be with us in this time. In your name we pray, amen.